You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All rise. Welcome to the Cyber Law and Business Report. Get the top story on the hot button internet legal topics of the day. This is your home for the latest on internet law and policy. Hear the latest net trends impacting business and have your questions answered right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report. Now, please welcome your host, the founder of the Internet Law Center, Bennett Kelly. Good morning. This is Bennett Kelly. We're broadcasting live today from Washington, D.C. We're at the IAPP Global Privacy Summit, and it's quite an event here. It's been an interesting couple of days. Um, But we are focusing our show today actually on Southern California. We have with us a guest, um, um, the Chief Technology Officer of Feedonomics, um, Robert Rosen, and um, he's going to talk about the success of that company and, and how it has served as one of the top platforms from online shopping feeds. And then we're also going to be talking about some of the latest news and developments, including what's going on here in Washington at the IAPP conference. Um, but Robert, are you with us? I am indeed. Can you guys hear me? Yes. Um, thank you for joining us. So um, the concept of feedonomics, you know, well, first of all, you guys are based in Woodland Hills, right? Mm-hmm. That's a suburb of Los Angeles and kind of part of the greater Silicon Beach community. Um, well, tell us what exactly is feedonomics? What's the problem you guys are trying to address? Yeah, absolutely. So maybe I'll start at a little bit more of a general level and and dial, dial into the specifics. But basically, what Feedonomics does is we take in tons and tons of data from different sources, join it all together, and allow that data to be transformed, manipulated by non-programmers. So people who can't necessarily program, but they can still describe in English what they want to do with their data. They encode those transformations in our system, and then we take that data and then feed it out to where it needs to go. Um, and and the, mm-hmm. the data you're getting, what is the data? What's the original data? Yeah, exactly. So, the particular domain that we've seen a lot of success in and that we're dealing with is the product e commerce space. So, the inputs are data, uh, product files, titles, descriptions, brands, manufacturers, availability from warehouses. 
um, pricing in information and uh, also performance information from the channels that you're advertising your products on. So we bring all of that data into you know an easy to digest form and then basically let people play with it, manipulate it, and then shoot it out to all of these sort of channels and all the touch points at which sales happen. So what, what's a case study example that would kind of put it in concrete terms of how you did that and what the result was? Um, sure. So oftentimes the product data that people have is relatively poor. Um, it's ill-suited for channels like Google Shopping where Google is, is taking a query and trying to determine which products it should show for that particular user's search query. Now, on your website, your products, um, they don't necessarily have to have all the product noun information because the user navigates to it through a breadcrumb. He sees a picture of it. In fact, oftentimes the websites have a really sleek, minimalist representation of the data. But if you give you know, something like that to Google, like even though it's clear to your users that the product is a shoe, you know, it's a picture of a shoe, yeah. um, so the description is, is indicating that it's a shoe, if you give it to Google without the word shoe in your title or without the word running shoe in your title, they don't really know what to do with it. They don't know that they should be showing it to people who are looking for athletic shoes or running shoes or things like that. So, you know, a case study would be we took a, a decently large shoe client, um, manipulated his product titles to basically be in a format that's a little bit easier for Google to digest and understand that it should be showing those products for particular search queries. And we saw a tremendous increase in both volume and a decrease in cost per conversion. Interesting. So basically a company, they, they build an online platform, they start selling their product, and they think Google and other sites are going to find them. And you're, you're saying they may have overlooked something very important. Yeah, exactly. And what they're overlooking is that what Google has traditionally applied to SEO and the search space, that's how it determines, you know, which advertisement to show in the Google shopping space. You know, how similar is your product data to a user search query? And that's what we help you sort of, we, we um, help bridge that gap. We basically allow you to transform, split test your product data to make sure that it, you know, Google can recognize that it should show it for particular search queries. And 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 this would also be true, I imagine, for online you know comparison shopping platforms. Exactly, these guys um, are basically doing the same thing. Whenever you have a user search query and you're trying to determine which product to show, or you know anything like that, it's basically the same game, which is how similar is your product to the, that particular user's search. And, and so, when people come, well, first of all, how do people know to come to you? Well, oftentimes their performance is suffering um, on, on these channels simply because their product data isn't competitive. It's not leveraging you know, some of these insights. So they're often having a, a problem and they finally realize that it's coming down to the data feed or the raw data that's not, that's not you know, con- performing and not, and not uh, doing what they expect it to do. Um, a lot or the vast majority of our clients are actually agencies, so they're very familiar with this space mm-hmm. and they're coming potentially from competitive technologies that were built a long time ago. So they know what they're looking for. We just let them do it significantly easier. And, and so tell us about Feedonomics, how it was founded and 
you know, how this concept, you know, you decided that this was something that really had the opportunity. Yeah, definitely. So um, most of us here come from the agency space. So we're very familiar with um, the implementation side and the struggles that agencies deal with in trying to get product feeds launched and trying to get product feeds to perform. And we're pretty, we're pretty familiar with the competitive technologies as well. And we're greatly dissatisfied with them. They weren't letting us um, do anything with any real sense of efficiency. When product feeds became too big or when the things that we were trying to do became too complex, it just, it, it became the largest bottleneck. So it was, it was an opportunity that we recognized. We recognized that there wasn't really a player in the space that was letting us do what we wanted to do. And we mm-hmm. knew that uh, you know, other agencies wanted to do this as well. Um, and that's sort of where we approached it. And we definitely like the idea of a more general market, a more general space where we're actually you know, dealing with raw data, not necessarily just product data. But absolutely, this was the opportunity that we saw, taking product data and letting people participate in all the touch points at which sales can potentially occur in the most competitive fashion. And so when did you, how, when were you founded? Uh, we were founded, I would say, around a year and a couple of months ago now. And why you chose L.A. because that's what we guys are from or there were certain <laughs> advantages to being in L.A.? No, that's, it's definitely where we're all located. Um, so that was, that was primarily the reason there. And and so in in the past eighteen months or so that you guys have been live, you know, what's what's the, been the response and and are people other people thinking about jumping into this this kind of niche you guys have created? Yeah, um, the response has been amazing. Um, maybe we underestimated just how frustrated people were in dealing with some of these older technologies and not being able to do what they needed to do with with efficiency. Um, so some of the largest agencies, you know, in the country and even in the world have, have signed with us, have, um, seen improvements with us and are really, really happy. And, and where, where, where are you guys going next? What is, you know, what's the, how do you keep, keep the growth? Uh, how do you keep competitors out? Um, yeah, so part of it is just having the simplest to use interface while still achieving you know, the greatest amount of functionality that's possible. Um, so being the, the most efficient player in the game, I think that's definitely one way. Um, the other way is just we want to be the most technically competent um, competitor in the space as well. So we're doing things like, and we're working on things like automatic category classification. We're working on... Um, more, we're working on being able to utilize things like performance information on a per product level, aggregating that back on a per product type level. So automatically choosing the most important products to show per search query, things like that. Um, in addition, we're building some pretty powerful search functionality um, that you know works even on databases that are millions and millions of products. So the search on websites currently. It's not really intelligent. It's uh, what we call just uh, textual-based similarity searches. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't take into account things like, hey, this guy searched for this, but he ended up clicking through onto another product. Or he, you know, most of the time that people search for this particular search query, they don't click on the top three results. They click on something else. So that's an indication that search results should be reordered. 
And that information currently is not really being used. But from our perspective, you know, we have all of it. We're already bringing in all of this information and joining it all together. So we can just as easily join in click-through rate on a per-query level and help people improve their search results. So for really, this is really just the beginning for us because once we have all the data, there are absolutely incredibly interesting things for us to do with it. And, and such as what? Uh, such as things like um, more intelligent search um, for, for some of these uh, merchants. Um, things like automatically choosing which of your products within a particular product group um, are more important um, so that those guys can be bid up, segmented differently. Right. Um, things like that. Now, are you finding in working these last 18 months, are, are there certain verticals that are more receptive to this type of service or it, it doesn't matter on the vertical? It doesn't necessarily matter on the vertical in terms of performance gains. Um, what does matter, though, is we'll find that people are most frustrated when their catalogs are larger. They're having a much harder time finding a solution that's, that works really, really well and you know, doesn't really choke on catalogs that are millions and millions of products large. Um, so that has definitely been something that um, people have come to us with. Um, but in terms of performance on vertical... It really depends on the quality of your data feed to start with. The worse it starts with, the better your performance gains are after a transition. Um, we're going to take a short break. When we come back, we'll talk more about feedonomics after these messages. You're listening to Cyberlaw Business Report only on webmasterradio.fm. Stay tuned for more of the Cyberlaw Business Report after this brief recess for our sponsors. Are you paying too much for your paid advertising? Or have you quit altogether because it seemed like a huge waste of money? I'm David Ogletree, president of WME Training. Did you know that companies waste 25% of their PPC spend on average? At WME Training, we can show you how to make your AdWords account a lean, mean, converting machine. Whether you're just starting out or want to take your skills to the next level, we have a class for you. Contact the marketing experts at WMETraining.com. Conversion Conference, the can't-miss CRO event of 2016. Join over 750 people from dozens of countries gathering in Las Vegas, May 18th and 19th, for the biggest industry-wide conversion event ever. Four parallel tracks of top content will allow you to personalize the exact topics that you want to focus on, interact with expert speakers at informal networking events, and birds of a feather lunch table topics. Meet dozens of leading CRO companies face-to-face in the expo hall. Get hands-on with pre-conference workshops and master classes. Join us for fun activities such as zip lining and Tim Ash's after party in the presidential suite. Oh yeah, did we mention that it's in Vegas, baby? May 18th and 19th. Conversion Conference last year sold out fast, and it's expected to sell out again. So don't miss it. Go to conversionconference.com for details right now. 
Hey, this is Danny Sullivan to talk to you about Bruce Clay Incorporated. They've made Inc. Magazine's list of growing private businesses and have exhibited and sponsored at my conferences since the very beginning. You've seen their search engine relationship chart or you've read their SEO code of ethics. So you know their SEO experts, but did you know they can help you with PBC, web analytics, web design, marketing strategy, promotion, and branding? Yep, get everything you need for success in the online marketplace. You can check it out from the professionals at Bruce Clay Incorporated. For over 10 years with offices worldwide, they've got the answers you need. Check them out today at BruceClay.com. Looking for a better way to get more traffic and interaction to your Facebook page? Imagine Facebook interactivity on your page like you've never seen. Introducing your new Facebook marketing fix, So Social, the new and revolutionary way to easily manage and automate your Facebook contests and sweepstakes. Create a fun, easy-to-win contest by writing a simple Facebook post. Watch your post go more viral and generate loads of interaction. Track your traffic and generate email lists with ease. So Social is mobile-friendly and complies with Facebook terms of service. Let So Social give your Facebook page some flash today. Zoom over to zosocial.com. The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report, only on webmasterradio.fm. And we're back, and we're talking um, with uh, the CTO of Feedonomics. Robert is with us. And, um, Robert, you, you said you worked in the agency levels before. What, what, what agencies did you work with? Um, just a couple of smaller local ones in Los Angeles. And, um, and so at that point, what led you to think, you know, you might want to launch, um, your, another, your own business? Yeah. So, um, basically I had consulted with, um, some agencies. I had written software for some agencies in terms of managing some of their campaigns, in terms of bidding, in terms of other things. And one of the requirements ended up being managing a really, really large feed. And Feedonomics was kind of born out of some of the ridiculousness I saw in agencies in how how they were trying to manage some of these these aspects of feeds. They were trying to, you know, throw millions of products in an Excel spreadsheet, trying to systematically manipulate it there and then <laughs> re-uploading it every morning when inventory and availability changed. So, you know, the fact that they were trying to manage these pretty, you know, monumental tasks and instrumental tasks in terms of these guys' campaigns in Excel and re-uploading a feed every day manually, that's sort of where, where we saw opportunity. And, and then um, that's, that's really where Feedonomics was born, seeing uh, some of the... Yeah? Uh, no, go ahead. Yeah, just seeing some of the, the manual efforts that people were expending in something that you know, should clearly be automated in this day and age. And and, in, and the we it's you, your brother, and uh, Sean. Yeah. And and tell us about them. What what, what they bring to the equation? Sure. Uh, Brian uh, Brian's my brother. He helps out a lot on the dev side. So me and him sort of head up that. And then um, Sean actually heads up our biz dev. So strategy. Um, we all consult on you know where we want the product to be. What are the priorities and things like that. But um, he'll basically, you know, make sure to do strategy in terms of, um, you know, how we want to structure relationships with businesses, um, how we want to position ourselves in the market and things like that. And um, I, I can kind of guess how you brought, met your brother, but <laughs> <laughs> how is it that you, you guys uh, got, got involved with Sean? But yeah, Sean was actually... Con- 
Mm-hmm. Sean was actually consulting at, um, he was doing a contract consulting at one of the companies that we were consulting with for bid mat bid work. Um, we were writing some software for them, and that's sort of how we, we met Sean. And so whose idea was it originally? Um, I have to say, I think we, I think we grabbed drinks at some point in time. Um, I mentioned you know, some of the ridiculousness that we were automating, some of the efficiencies that we were creating. And Sean, I think, said, this is general. You know, this can be generalized. This is, applies not just to this particular agency, but to anyone in the space who's trying to manage product feeds, who's trying to sell products across multiple channels. So um, alcohol is the nectar of innovation, <laughs> I guess. And um, how did you launch? Did you guys use your own funds? Did you have an angel? or? Yeah, we were completely privately funded. Um, so the vast majority of our investment into Feedonomics, at least in the beginning, was in the time it took to develop it, to market it, um, not even through paid channels, just you know through whatever organic means we could, um, you know, picking up the phone, calling other agencies, sending them emails, things like that. Um, thankfully we resonated, you know, pretty strongly because it really was a frustration in the market that everybody was experiencing if they were trying to manage product feeds and e-commerce channels. So thankfully we didn't really. mm -hmm. And do they pay the clients? They pay on our, um, conversion base an increased convert is there a contingency or is there a, f- a fee based yeah how what's the compensation structure yeah for us it's just a monthly fee um for okay. access to the platform um and you know we help in training and in even setting up feeds as much as as is needed and, and so you had to make that first sale how hard was that <laughs> very hard because none of us had the confidence that you know, this was that people were experiencing this problem to the same degree that we were. We knew that we were having a problem with it. We had experienced other methods by which people were trying to solve it. But, you know, it's we didn't we didn't fully grasp that, you know, they would identify with it and it would resonate with them as strongly as it did. So that first sale was, you know, mostly I don't know if it was actually more difficult or if it just felt that way because, you know, all of us were nervous, antsy and not necessarily that confident, but um, it definitely felt like a, a pretty big hurdle. And then once you got that, you had the results to show that you could do it. Yeah, exactly. And, and so what are your plans, you know, kind of as you expand beyond this you know, initial 18-month phase? Um, we hope to, you know, continue doing what we do. Um but primarily, we want to be the strongest player from a tech perspective. And as long as we you know, continue to be really, really strong in our service, in our relationships, and in our support that we offer, I think you know, the growth will occur naturally. So organic growth is, is, is how you're going to achieve this. Now, do you, has any major competitor emerged in this space? Or are, you, are you guys sitting alone in, in, in a big pile of opportunity? There are some major competitors. I would say the largest competitor in terms of market cap would be Channel Advisor. There are okay. some newer ones that have emerged since, but um, Channel Advisor is a publicly traded company. Um, its market cap, I believe, is in the hundreds of millions. So they're, they would be the largest player in the space. Um, 
but uh, you know, our plan for competition is just a better platform, um, easier to use, more intuitive, and stronger functionality. And how many employees do you have? Currently, we have seventeen. That's pretty good. All all housed in um, in the valley. All housed in the valley. It's uh, getting a little bit tight. And so, what do you, about a year from now or two years from now? How how big do you think you'll be by then? Uh, we hope to grow pretty significantly. Our projections, month over month growth, are pretty strong. I would hope, at the very least, that we we double um, within a relatively short amount of time. How important is being in LA to you guys in, in terms of? You, there's a big ad tech community in Los Angeles. Does that help you at all, or is your LA presence just really coincidental to your success? It's uh, definitely helpful. Um, some of our clients, in terms of startup agencies as well, are also located in LA. So it helps if we can, you know, have a physical presence at some of their presentations, some of their conferences, things like that. Um, from a tech perspective, um, in terms of talent. It's definitely easier to find tech talents, I think, in L.A. than it would be in most other cities, you know, <laughs> obviously excluding places um, like Silicon Valley and, and things like that. And, and so and the, when, when, when you've had to raise money, this is, is being in L.A. an asset to them? I think that um, if you do try to raise money, I think being in one of the, you know, strong startup uh physical locations is important to um, to VCs. We have not had to raise VC, um, so I, I couldn't really tell you. But from what I've heard, you know, it, it, there's a reason why most of the VC money is coming into places like Silicon Valley. Some of it's coming into Silicon Beach. And, yeah. And um, in, in terms of you as the CTO and you know, having the opportunity to work with your brother, you know, what has been the most fun aspect of this this kind of growth in this new company? I think it's just a shared passion. All of us are really excited. Um, we really like what we do. We like that we're, you know, helping, helping our agencies increase results, that they're happy with us. You know, we're creating a product that people like, and, you know, that obviously just makes things a lot more, a lot more fun on our end. Well, Robert, I want to thank you. It's been a great pleasure having you on, and uh, best of luck to you at Feedonomics. And if people want more information about Feedonomics, where should they go? Uh, just our website, Feedonomics.com. And Twitter? All of that should be up, yeah. Okay, great. Thank you very much, Robert. It's been a pleasure having you. All right. Thanks so much, guys. Bye-bye. So um, we're back here in Washington, D.C., and we're uh, in the middle of the IAPP Privacy Global Privacy Summit, and this is their 16th and biggest one ever. The IAPP has grown to a remarkable size. There are over 20,000 members worldwide, and, and what you're seeing here in Washington is a global privacy event. Uh, I sat next to lawyers from Columbia yesterday, and they're coming from all over the globe, and it's a, it's a very busy conference. It's actually, some of the sessions were um, we couldn't even get into. It was standing room only. Um, so it's been quite an interesting conference. And one of the highlights of yesterday was the um, we had the general counsel of the FBI talk about 
the, the, on the, I guess the general question and answer session, but a lot of the questions dealt with um, the ongoing battle or the recent battle the FBI has had with Apple and the, all the issues over encryption. And I had the opportunity actually to, to speak with the general counsel. And as he spoke about encryption and how you know, the FBI is in a difficult position, they're having to deal with basically uh, in, their, in the battle on terrorism, there's an expectation of zero errors. You know, they, they have to block every shot as the goalie. And, um, and that puts them in a difficult position. And, and so as the increased use of encryption uh, in mobile devices, uh, that creates a, a challenge for them. And they're, they're trying to determine how to address that challenge. Um, and so um, the... Um, and as this was going on, the, the the very day of this session is when WhatsApp announced that they were going to do end-to-end encryption on all their communications. So it has one more step further in the growing use of encryption. And from the FBI's perspective, at one level, from an anti-terrorism perspective, um, they saw that you know, this is a challenge. This will be a challenge for us in combating terrorism. It doesn't mean we can't. It doesn't mean necessarily it's bad, um, but it, it will be a challenge. And so I actually asked the general counsel. I said, you know, there's there's also benefits to encryption. And more secure communications also mean a, a reduced risk of cybercrime. And it, to the extent that, you know, what how do you balance or weigh the benefits of you know stopping one Belgium attack versus stopping a hundred Sony attacks. You know, what, which is the more important and, and, and how do you arrive at that decision? And, and so it was interesting because he then um, said, Hey, you know, we're not saying necessarily that encryption is bad. You know, we understand we like encryption. And he says, you know, I myself have been a victim of, of cybercrime because you know, as a federal employee, you know, he did he had all his data exposed and his family's data in the uh, OPM hack just a year or two ago. And, and so he says, we love encryption. Quote, I have been a victim of privacy crimes by several times, including OPM. I, I wish that data had been encrypted. Um, so, you know, in, it's definitely something that they're grappling with, um, but it's an interesting discussion. A lot of heat um, over the um, over the Apple dispute, and also trying to get answers to whether or not um, they have um, uncovered anything so far in opening um, the phone. And uh, to date, apparently, they have reported to the court that they have found something, but uh, they have been able to unlock it and have retrieved information, but they weren't going to report publicly what that was and despite repeated questions on that. Um, so it was an interesting discussion and it was really, it was good to see him. Um, he has, uh, he's had quite a distinguished career in both the Justice Department, the FBI and the CIA. And so it was quite a great, it was quite a, an achievement for the IAPP to have him there. And um, but he did stress that privacy is an important part of what he does. You know, we, every day where they are working to balance you know privacy interests with you know law enforcement interests, and you know they and maintaining the FBI's credibility in this regard is important. Um, so 
It was very, very good discussion. And so we're going to talk a little bit more about some other news updates um, when we come back after these messages. You're listening to Cyber Law and Business Report only on webmasterradio.fm. Stay tuned for more of the Cyber Law and Business Report after this brief recess for our sponsors. Reinventing keyword research, simplifying campaign optimization, redefining competitive analysis. SpyFu brings you an entirely new way to find the most profitable keywords for your SEO and PPC campaigns. New tools, new data, and a brand new look. We've streamlined SpyFu so that you can optimize your search engine marketing more efficiently, more accurately, and more intuitively. Visit SpyFu.com, that's S-P-Y-F-U.com, and start downloading your competitors' keywords now. Try it free. The Web Marketing Association presents Great Moments in Website History. 1994, Trey G browses with a high-speed 56K modem. 1997, Donnie W discovers scrolling. 2006, Smudges the Cat becomes an animated GIF. What is your great moment in website history? The Web Marketing Association is now accepting entries for the International Web Award Competition. Web Marketing Award winners receive an image plaque, certificate of achievement, higher visibility for your company, valuable feedback from our expert judges, and links to your site from the highly ranked Web Award site. Visit webaward.org to nominate your company, site, or organization. Deadline for entries is May 31st, 2016. Go to webaward.org and sign up today. Great websites today need expert web design and development and need to be e-commerce ready and mobile friendly. But building a marketable and profitable website can be an uphill climb. Ready to make your new website or replace your existing website? Think Orange as the new way to get in the black. Orange Hill Development works with Fortune 500 companies and offers the same top quality development service at a fraction of what other providers charge. Brands like Absolute, Carlsberg, and Nestle trust Orange Hill Development. Find out why you should trust your website with Orange Hill. Contact Orange Hill for a consultation today at orangehilldevelopment.com. The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report, only on webmasterradio.fm. And we're back, and um, once again, we're broadcasting live from Washington, D.C., and as you can imagine, being in Washington, D.C. during a political season is very interesting, uh, and I had an interesting discussion with some of my Republican friends uh, when I first arrived, and what was striking was that, one, they're very disturbed about Donald Trump, but they said in looking at the race in general, what you're seeing is with the... the the rise of outside money because of Citizens United and um, and the use of the internet as a fundraising tool, you're seeing basically the parties having less and less say in their own nomination process. If they've lost control of the system, and you're seeing that in a way with the uh, with the rise of Trump and even Bernie Sanders you know, on the Democratic side, and uh, so he said to him, We're, "This could be the, a turning point." Uh, in terms of our political system in which the political parties are less and less relevant. And uh, it was an interesting point. And um, but to that point, I just want to, we're going to have uh, as a preview of next week, we have, um, as a, we're going to have a guest from Engine. The, um, they've done a uh, report card along with um, Tusk Ventures on grading the candidates on tech. And they released it just a couple weeks ago, and um, they've given a whole bunch of candidates grades on tech issues. And so they're going to be joining us next week, and they're going to be talking about where the various candidates are on 
on tech issues. And uh, apparently they've rated Hillary Clinton at the top of the list and Donald Trump got an F. So, But we'll talk about those and what goes into it and what, what issues they're focused on um, next week. But I just want to give you a little preview of that. Uh, another thing in the news that you were hearing a lot about, especially the last two days, has been the, the Panama um, Papers that have been leaked, and uh, which a part of it came from, or maybe all of it came from, uh, a hack of a law firm file. And it comes at the same time, just last week, two major Wall Street firms uh, announced that they had been hacked as well, and that um, data data had been taken and that um, there's also a posting by a Russian hacking group that indicated it was targeting American law firms and listed uh, a bunch of them. And and so earlier in the year, I, I may have mentioned that, you know, whereas last year was the year of the medical hack, there were some who thought this year was going to be the year of the legal hack, that law firms have a lot of prize data and particularly those involved in major transactions, particularly with public companies. And what's going on with some of the hacks of some of these law firms are people trying to get inside information on you know, public transactions so they can trade on it appropriately. And uh, it's, you know, it's, it's dirty pool, it's illegal, it's a lot of things. But if you pull it off, it can be quite lucrative. And so that's the issue we have. Um, and also, if you think about what law firms have on companies, you know, they have the most, you go to a lawyer and you have the attorney-client privilege so you can share the most confidential and proprietary things without fear. And if law firms now are being the target of hacks, that puts them at a very difficult position, obviously with potential huge liability. Um, you know, those are some reports in the, the legal press that if some law firm is actually shown to have um, been compromised in a way that you know uh, makes a a major opportunity, a transaction, or some other public offering or something, um, not go off as well because of it. You know, it could be the end of the law firm. So it's a definite challenging era for law firms because of this new environment. And you know, understand hackers are going to go in two two areas. You. You know, they're all saying, well, you know, why do you rob banks? Because, well, that's the money, where the money is. And here we have some very high-value targets for information. Um, hospitals, medical facilities, because they have a lot of history on the people. They have all their vital um, records and information, and including payment information, uh, very valuable information. And law firms, the same. They have you know, they, they're basically the doctors for corporate America. And, and so they have that same information. And so you know, that is going to be an ongoing thing. We're going to see more and more of this, I would imagine. And then there'll probably be some fallout and repercussions because of that. I think we may see if, if we do have a consequential breach involving a firm, the first question to ask yourself is how long will that firm survive? And so it's going to be very interesting, uh, I think, as this develops. Um, also in Washington last week, we had a meeting of the Federal Communications Commission. And we've seen the FCC um, Chairman Wheeler take a, a very activist approach in terms of uh, addressing the issues in the Internet. You know, a year ago, we, we went, we, he enacted the net neutrality rules. And after much fight and after <laughs> one point being uh, compared to a dingo, 
by John Oliver, but the, the dingo keeps on going, and he uh, has last um, Friday announced that the FEC is going to be, be initiating rulemaking on the issue of privacy among ISPs, and he's going. The FCC is going to specifically require that ISPs get opt-in consent uh, before they share any inf- consumer information with third parties for marketing purposes. Um, they, they want that to be clear. They said, you know, unlike a website, you know, where you can choose and you can read the privacy policies um, beforehand, a consumer's relationship quote, with the ISP is very different than one would when she has a website. Uh, or app. Consumers can move instantly to a different website, search engine, or application. But once they sign up for broadband service, consumers can scarcely avoid the network for which they are paying a monthly fee. And so they, they're not adopting a policies um, based on these three principles. Choice. Consumers have the right to exercise meaningful and informed control over their personal data that they provide the broadband provider and users and under what circumstances it shares their personal information with third parties or affiliated companies. Transparency. Consumers need to know what information is being collected about them, how it's being used, and under what circumstances. And then finally, security. Broadband providers have a responsibility to protect consumer data, both as they carry it across their networks and wherever it's stored. And we've seen uh, the Federal Trade Commission take the similar position on privacy, uh, making it a, a, a violation of the FTC Act to actually have inadequate security in certain circumstances. And so the FCC is drawing that line as well. Uh, so the process, when it says they issued a notice of proposed rulemaking, and what that means is it has now been published for comment, and anyone can submit comments, and they create a public record, and for which from that public record they then can issue a, a formal rule Um implementing these guidelines. So um, a major development there in the um, at the FCC level. Now, back here at the IAPP, one of the other recessions um, was a, an update on legislative developments going on in privacy led by Stu Ingus at Venable, who's been one of the leading lobbyists in this area and for um, privacy issues, particularly in the online advertising space and e-commerce space. And uh, we had he had with him um, representatives of the administration as well as um, the senior privacy people for the Senate um, Commerce Committee, both from the, the majority and the minority side. And what was interesting is that he, he, he painted a picture of Washington that, as it's not usually seen. It's a Washington that more or less um, disagrees on certain things but gets along. These guys have good relationships and they're able to work together. Um, it seems that the idea of a, a, a global privacy bill is a ways off. It just isn't going to happen. And uh, we've talked about this previously on this show, that part of the challenge of that is just because so many different interests are involved. But as he said, the fact that you don't see any legislation being passed doesn't mean that we're not working hard. Um, the administration is working with industry groups to try to create you know, some kind of self-increase in self-regulatory efforts in the privacy area. Um, there's a number of you know, things that the Senate Commerce Committee is looking into. But given that this is an election year, um, given the, the, the short number of days left in this congressional session, um, because 
keep in mind in July, there'll be breaks probably the whole month of July and most of August. They will be off for both the holidays and for the political conventions in um, Cleveland for the Republicans and Philadelphia for the Democrats. Uh, and so you, you know, that's going to slow things down and then they're going to shut down early for the election. So it's not likely anything's really going to get done, but they're definitely looking at it. Um, they're communicating. And um, so it, it showed uh, a side of Washington that at least is optimistic. Um, but there really isn't anything on the table for them to really move forward on in the short term. Um, but And two other quick things on the um, – while well, well, we have you, the – let's give a couple of shout-outs. Um, one shout-out to Trevor Hughes of the IAPP. And thank you. Thank them for helping us set up here at the IAPP and broadcast live um, from the convention here in Washington. And I want to thank them and congratulate them on a very successful show. Um, but the other thing is a couple of shout-outs. One goes to Fusion uh, Media, who is a great publication to follow. They do some great work. You know, Cashmere Hill, who used to have been on the show um, from Forbes, has now moved over there. And they had a number of other great reporters, some of whom we've had on. Um, but with everyone talking about um, on both sides of the aisle, that if this candidate or that candidate wins, I'm moving to Canada, they actually did a profile on what it takes to move to Canada and it's, it's, it was very tongue-in-cheek, and it, it's very um, clever, and I encourage you to check it out. It's on our um, blog, which is um, cyberlawradio.wordpress.com, and it has we have background on um, feedonomics as well, so I encourage you to check that one out. And then um, today is also somewhat of a somber anniversary. It is the anniversary of the Rwanda genocide. And uh, growing up, in the post-World War II era, we kept hearing, you know, that once the Holocaust was documented and um, publicized and taught in schools, we kept hearing the phrase, never again, never again. And then it seemed, you know, the world went mad in the 90s. You had the, you know, what was going on in the Balkans and, you know, um, Srebrenica and, and Yugoslavia and Croatia and it just this awfulness, and then it seems you know it culminated in Rwanda. Um, just as a quick, quick excerpt from Wikipedia, that in you know, April and early May, uh, the presidential guard um, and militias uh, aided by local populations continued killing at a very high rate. Estimates that during the first six weeks, up to eight hundred thousand Rwandans may have been murdered, representing a rate five times higher than during the Holocaust of Nazi Germany. And what's interesting is, you know, Nazi Germany used, you know, technology to kill. They used gas and they used trains to ship um, Jews to concentration camps where they were killed. And Rwanda was done by machete, a very low-tech but extremely intensive um, and bloody Genocide in, in a very short period of time, and it's a wonderful book written by Philip Gorovich. Um, we regret to reform you, but tomorrow we will be killed with our families. It's just beautifully written and uh, uh, just a tragic story. And if you're unfamiliar with the Rwanda genocide, I encourage you to check it out. Um, it's it's a great book, and um, but very sad day, sad part of our history. I think it's sad to the way the UN. Uh, refused to allow um, peacekeepers there to intervene to prevent the genocide. I think it's sad the way the United States repeatedly 
I'll try to dance on the head of a pin by refusing to acknowledge that it was genocide, merely saying acts of genocide. The reason being that as a signatory to the Genocide Convention, we would then have had an obligation to do something about it. Um, you know, it's a, it's a day of moral failing. And um, luckily, we have not had anything like that since. Um, but it's, uh, it's, it's good to remember that so that we don't repeat that mistake again. So, um, again, for all those who uh, were lost in that, uh, we, we, our deep sympathies and, and hopefully history will, will, will teach us. Um, how to avoid this in the future. So next week, we're going to be back in um, Los Angeles, but we'll be talking about Washington, and uh, we'll be talking about the upcoming election with Engage. And we've had Engage on before. They, they organized a, a startup day where they took uh, tech companies to Washington to uh, explain you know, what are issues that are vital to startups to try to keep that dialogue so that Washington understands um, the needs and what, what issues are important to startups. And, and so towards along that line, they have created this report card that goes over certain issues that I believe are important to the tech community, such as net neutrality. And actually immigration um, is an important issue uh, because the need to get talent into, into the tech community often relies on immigration. And so those are two big issues. And um, Donald Trump has been opposed to both, so I think that may be why he has enough. But it should be a great discussion. We look forward to having you next week. Uh, we'll be talking about that and more. So I want to thank everyone again for joining us today. Um, and um, until next week, this is Bennett Kelly. Have a great um, week, and we'll be back here next week for another edition of Cyber Law and Business Report. This has been a presentation of WebmasterRadio.fm, the world's largest business-to-business radio and podcast network. We welcome you to sample past episodes of this program, as well as our complete library of programs, on demand or on the air via our 24-7 live audio stream at www.WebmasterRadio.fm. The opinions expressed on this program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of WebmasterRadio.fm's management or sponsors. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without authorized consent of WebmasterRadio.fm is prohibited. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.